This episode of On The Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles On The Beat and very pleased tonight to have a very special guest. We're going to talk about a lot of different things, NIL rulings, uh, George in the draft. We're going to continue to follow up that record-breaking class. We're going to look forward to next year. And we're going to revisit the past a little bit with uh, tonight's guest, as I said, Mr. Buck Blue, certainly Georgia football legend, national championship quarterback joins us. And many of you also know Buck is a host on 680, uh, one of Atlanta's familiar and friendly voices. Buck, thanks so much for joining me tonight. Oh, it's good to be with you, Mike. Thanks. You bet. So we got a little bit of a news hook, you know, and in the offseason, you know, we got to jump on that when we get it. Usually kind of dog days of summer are upon us, but a lot of things happening right now with the NIL name, image, and likeness. And I say, thank goodness we didn't have it in Buck's day or else maybe he wouldn't still be working. He'd, he'd have made so much money off that 1980 national championship. He'd be on the golf links somewhere instead of doing radio for us and some media. But, uh, the board of directors today, Buck, approved uh, some NIL guidelines um, that's going to clarify some things as far as booster involvement and their ability uh, to put money into the collectives for the purposes of recruiting. You know, this is this is a real gray area. And I know a lot of fans are trying to stiff arm it and say, man, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't college football. You know, but like Kirby Smart says, this is reality, folks. We're not putting the toothpaste back in the tube. And now it's a matter of how does this take place? So, Buck, I guess I would just kind of ask you as far as guidelines and one of the concerns they're talking about, we can have all the guidelines we want. But how in the world do you enforce it? What are some of your thoughts on putting guardrails, guidelines on NIL to bring some order to this new process in NCAA? Well, I'm just looking forward to learning more. Uh, it just seems like right now uh, we're talking about a lot of blurry lines. Uh, you know, uh, how are they going to enforce this uh, nationwide? Uh, do they have the staff to even begin to do that, I wonder? So... This is uh, it's sort of the wild, wild west, and I just uh, have to wonder, you know, and anytime we get these big changes, Mike, my first thought uh, is, is what are the unintended consequences? Uh, because they're all, and it's going to end up hurting somebody, but, uh, you know, it just, uh, I'm trying not to be the, the old, uh, old school, old fuddy-duddy guy that doesn't want these young guys to capitalize on their name, image, and land to put my arms around it. You know, that I remember when Herschel hit the scene at Georgia, four Georgia jerseys, they were flying off the shelf. And I remember thinking, gosh, Herschel's not getting a dime of this money. You know, they should at least, his eligibility's up, cut him a check. But just thought uh, something was a little odd even way back when. Yeah, well, fortunately for Herschel, Donald Trump and uh, the New Jersey Generals came along, not necessarily in that order, but uh, of course, Herschel's still a pretty busy guy. But to Buck's point, there's a lot of football players that don't hit the professional jackpot. jackpot. And, and also to Buck's point, uh, there were some NCAA staff members laid off during the pandemic. And, and how do you choose which boosters to go after and which programs to go after? And let's remember, folks, the NCAA isn't the FBI or the local law enforcement agency, they don't have subpoena power. They can't order bank records opened up or, or tap phone lines unless there's money 
uh, crossing state lines, which would constitute racketeering, uh, which is how Alabama, of course, got in trouble with Albert Means around 2000, was money crossed state lines. This is this is a different animal. And boosters can look at it and say, you know, hey, wait a minute. You know, uh, these are your rules. These aren't my rules. I don't see these uh, written up by any government. And, and that's why, Buck, you know, these uh, politicians and legislators are trying to get involved in it. You know, we saw Brett Kavanaugh last year, uh, something called the Alston case, basically say, how can you say that your business model is predicated on not pay paying people fairly or their value? Um, there is a bit of a, a hypocritical nature to that. So, again, it sounds like a lot of mumbo jumbo coming out of my mouth because there's a lot of politics involved. There's a lot of confusion. But at the end of the day, the NCAA is trying to do something about it. It is a start. We do see conferences working together. Greg Sankey working hand in hand with the Pac-12. You know, my take on it, just to be completely transparent, Buck, is that there's always been extra benefits of some sort involved. And now this is just an attempt to bring it above board. And, and I guess I would just ask you about college sports and, and recruiting and, and how would you suggest to police that having played the game yourself and been a media member now the last 30 or 40 years, what would be two or three staples that Buck Blue would tell some of these administrators that they would need to put in place for something to work? Well, that's, uh, I need a, a doctorate <laughs> degree to, to get that part figured out, Mike. I mean, it just, uh, you know, it's a big job uh, to, make, to make sure, uh, you know, everybody's doing it the right way. And, and when you have rules, man, I say these rules are going to be broken. I can guarantee you that it's going to help school win another big football game, put you in the playoffs with a shot of win at the national title. Then, you know, that lure and that temptation is going to be out there. You know, I just even back when I was being recruited, I, I remember hearing that there were two times uh, that had their hand out. And the other one uh, that just was honored. Uh, to have a shot at a college education and, and play for the school. Uh, so, you know, I don't think that's ever going to change. And uh, I just, I don't have, I don't really don't have all the answers. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know anybody that does. Uh, at the very least, I would hope there's some sort of window for activity when I think about Kirby Smart and the job that he has or some of these other coaches have with the introduction of the early signing period in December. So now you're signing kids in December before you know what your juniors and draft eligible players are going to be doing in January, before you know what you're going to get the first signing class in February. Uh, and now we enter the NIL and the potential transfers in this as well. How in the world do you maintain an 85 scholarship limit uh, and think about the players that are put in limbo. You know, do I have a scholarship coach? Well, maybe you do and maybe you don't. I can't really tell you that right now. There's four or five, probably six guys every year that are just kind of hanging on in limbo, unaware of whether or not there's going to be a scholarship made available for them. So I would hope that there's some sort of schedule. I know that's been proposed in terms of getting a, the proper steps in action. I mean, this is some tough talk from the NCAA that this could be retroactive to your point earlier. I think it'd be very hard to enforce uh, without maybe some uh, other lawsuits and people suing saying, wait a minute, you know, how can you tell this kid how much money he can make when you don't tell any other kid in college what he can make? So 
it's a big mess. And uh, unfortunately, uh, it's just getting started. We took a step into it tonight. Buck and I unable to solve all the world's problems in the opening <laughs> segment of On the Beat, but uh, certainly present some things that are at the top of the agenda is they're going to try to solve that. I'll tell you one thing that was pretty clairvoyant about a week ago, Buck, and that's that this Georgia football team had the most talented draft class, I'd say, in, in the recent history of the NFL. Now, this only goes back to 1994 when they went to a seven-round draft. But since 1994, the 15 players that Georgia had drafted more than any other program in college football has put out in this modern era really could have been 16, if not for Adam Anderson and off-field troubles. I guess I'd ask you, Buck, was there anything about that that particularly impressed or surprised you about the dogs in the draft? Well, it was, uh, I mean, this is... This is, uh, you know, this this is unbelievable, really, to know that five defenders out of that Georgia defense were drafted uh, up high in the first round. I mean, that's just unbelievable. And, uh, you know, it came at all three levels. Yet three defensive linemen go in the draft. And, uh, Quay Walker, uh, Channing Tindall, linebackers go in the draft. Uh, Lewisine jumped in there at the uh, end of that first. So, um, you know, it's impressive. And, you know, as a Georgia fan, you just wonder, okay, how much drop-off is there going to be in this upcoming 2022 season? Uh, that's what I think about. And, uh, you know, I think in uh, 2022 that Georgia, looking at them offensively, they've got a real shot of leading the way. Uh, if, if they just turn these guys loose and let Stetson play, fast and they got a lot of playmakers and I'm sure we'll uh you know it's uh I'm sure Georgia fans are a little concerned about the young guys the guys that are going to step in the guys hadn't seen play a heck of a lot up until now but I uh getting a look at G day I felt a lot better Georgia being legitimate being the mix in the upcoming season look there's some really good players on looks like a first round draft pick to me coming up next year and can't wait to see more of him. Really anxious to see uh, Zion Logue, uh, Wall Thor, and, and seeing what these uh, defensive linemen are going to bring to the table. We just hadn't seen a heck of a lot out of them. Uh, other than that, you got to play some backups, some young guys. They're going to have to – and that's the key defensively is this coaching staff defensively is when camp starts is getting these backup young backup talented five-star players coached up in a hurry because there's going to be some casualties that georgia starting 11 looks pretty solid to me defensively and so it's going to be the big key to me defensively is them getting me ready to play until then the offense can lead the way that o-line looks strong to uh, Warren McClendon's underrated. A uh, couple of really outstanding, uh, talented runbacks, two or three uh, to get the ball to. The, you know the tight end spot's loaded. And then at receiver, I'm seeing Holyfield, seeing, uh, you know, Dom Blaylock get back in there, making some plays on G-Day. Uh, Arian Smith is explosive. Uh, Rick Gilbert's obviously a difference maker. This offense can be one of the top offenses in college football in the upcoming season. You know, you're talking about the draft, but 
I'm going in right to next season on what these uh, national championship guys that exited the program going into the NFL, wishing them nothing but the best. I mean, Jordan Davis and Nicobe Dean and Philly's awesome. They're fired up, I'm sure, about being up there uh, in, in Cleveland, uh, you know, with Quay and Devontae Wyatt. They're uh, Green Bay, rather. They're going to be thrilled with them. Uh, seeing, you know, he's going to bring it to the NFL level. So I can't wait to see these guys start shaking things up. And it's, it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, Buck, 57 Georgia football players right now on NFL rosters. And that doesn't count Sony Michelle. He's out there floating around as a free agent and and Jake Fromm and, and guys like that that you think are going to catch on. It's 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 pretty amazing. And again, as someone that's that's followed sports in Atlanta for decades and seen your share of Georgia football teams, I mean, did you see this kind of coming? Did you feel like when Kirby got hired? I know that first year was a little rough with losses to believe it or not, Vanderbilt and Georgia Tech really only, what, six, seven years ago, hard to believe. But when did you start to recognize that Kirby Smart could bring this sort of dynasty? Well, I I thought first he was the right guy for the job. And it was pretty obvious that he was the right guy for the job. And just uh, really thankful for Mike Cavan stepping up, to bring him back home, decided to uh, make that move. And, uh, you know, the, the thing that's press conference with Kirby, one of the things he mentioned, Mike, was, was hey, everything, uh, every program will have recruiting in mind. And don't you just know, NFL draft, the Kirby Smart's going to sell Braille. And why wouldn't the four- and five-star player not pay attention when he starts talking about uh, these guys getting coached up at Georgia, winning some big time, taking their best shot to the next level in the NFL? These, it's it's going to show up on the recruiting trail big. But, you know, everything Kirby does, there's the thought about the impact on recruiting and getting the most out of that. You know, that to Kirby about uh, whether they were going to provide what he needed to recruit at that level. And they, best I can tell, they provided everything that he was looking for. Yeah, no doubt. Everybody's come through. It's been very impressive so far for Kirby Smart. He's getting ready to enter year seven. No longer selling dreams, selling reality. As Buck said, it's not the story about what happened with the Alabama guy that stuck it out. It's what happened when Clay Walker <laughs> decided not to transfer. It's what happened when Trayvon Walker didn't start as a freshman or a sophomore. And now the number one draft pick, Buck, despite being number 11 on the team in tackles, hey, just do your job, man. The NFL will notice, trust the process, trust the system. You know, that happened a, a while back uh, with Coach Vince Dooley and, and Bucket quarterback and Herschel Walker. I want to take a break right now before we before we go into the uh, flashback memory machine with Buck Blue and the 1980 Bulldogs, I want to take a moment to recognize our sponsor, Ingles. Appreciate Ingles' sponsorship, consistency, being there for us. Certainly all remember what Ingles did during the pandemic, serving our needs and making sure we were able to get our loved ones everything they needed in a time of difficulty. Let's take this moment and recognize our sponsor, Ingles. in our hearts to feel for you There's been ups and downs, turnarounds There's good days and some bad But 
Back to the show, Mike Griffith here. We're joined by Buck Ballou, Georgia football legend, quarterback of the 1980 Bulldogs, and also uh, at one point the leading hitter in the Southeastern Conference. You know, we all think about Buck handing off to Herschel Walker and leading Vince Dooley's 1980 Dogs to the national championship, but he was also a great baseball player. And uh, I don't think people talk about that enough. Certainly, Buck doesn't talk about that enough. I remember as I was doing some of his shows. Uh, one day I decided that I would Google Buck Blue just for the heck of it, you know, because my goodness, uh, you know, if anybody uh, certainly carries themselves well, it's Buck. I said, there's got to be more to this guy. Uh, he can't just be a foot. And he wasn't. He was also a baseball player. And uh, he went on to play three years in the Montreal Expos organization, you know, kind of the part of the Buck Blue story that a lot of people don't talk about, maybe some folks don't even realize, lettered all four years while he was at Georgia, a career 356 hitter. I mean, that's that's pretty amazing. And then he played professional football. We talked about the USFL and Herschel Walker with the New Jersey Generals. Did you know Buck Blue played quarterback for the Jacksonville Bulls of the USFL? So I wonder what Buck thinks about this new USFL league. Um, we'll bring Buck back on here in just a minute. I think he's uh, going to join us. We're trying to get him back right now, Michael Carvel. Uh, we can talk more with Buck Blue the second half of the show and talk about Buck, about this book that he's written as well, uh, Inside the Hedges, A Quarterback's Journey to the 1980 National Championship. And Buck, forgive me, but I detoured into your two-sport stardom. A moment ago, you mentioned Darian Smith, and we know he's a trackster that's been trying to do both. You played baseball, and I'm trying to imagine how that went with Coach Dooley. How in the world were you able to split your time between football and baseball in the spring? Well, <clears throat> you know, I talk about it in the book uh, here. There's a there's a couple's on the baseball, and and you just, uh, look back, Mike, and I remember facing a lot of challenge doubters, uh, people, coaches, teammates that that uh, we're trying to discourage you from doing that. So you really had to stay strong in your commitment. Uh, and, and do, I just play major league baseball. And, you know, I just, uh, and, you know, part of the dream was playing at, at Georgia, playing football at Georgia too. So I was able to uh, be blessed and and live that that honor out. And Coach Dooley was one of the few coaches that said, you know, come to Georgia, we'll allow you to play baseball. And I was, I took him in and he lived up to it. A man of his word, one of the uh, few trustworthy people out on the recruiting trail. There are a lot of promises being made. Sales pitch was, we'll let you play baseball. You're contributing. We'll let you play baseball all four years and uh, come to Georgia and help us win a championship. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a part of a winner. You know, I, I had Pepper Rogers at Georgia Tech. He told us, hey, come to Tech, Baloo, you'll win the Heisman Trophy. And I was like, wow, the Heisman. I hadn't even thought of, you know, listen, I'm just thinking about, about winning games, winning big games, playing in big bowls, winning a title or two. That's what in a coach. 
Dooley allowed me to do both. And he would come at the beginning of each of those four seasons. And I would know he was there because one of my teammates on the baseball team would say, man, you better go three for four today. And in the beginning, I'd say, why? And I said, well, because Coach Dooley's here, man. You go 0 for 4, you're back on that spring football field. Well, I guess they figured out to tell you it was at every game because you led the league in hitting and uh, leading the SEC in hitting, obviously, no easy feat. A career 350 hitter, which is just mind-blowing to me. Uh, your talent's obviously incredible, Buck. What about these Diamond Dogs of today? We're seeing they got this Jonathan Cannon ace. They're going to be playing up at Tennessee. What are your thoughts on Georgia baseball? It's been a minute since they've been to the World Series, and uh, they're making a, a, a run at the NCAA tournament this year. What do you think about where the program's at and uh, Foley Field? I think they're talking about trying to add a few seats to the uh, the Wrigley Field of the SEC, as we call it. Yeah, and if you look around the SEC, the popularity of college baseball is at an all-time high. Look at the top 25 and see all the SEC programs in there. Uh, I, I went and I, I checked off Starkville to see that Mississippi State program and watch those dogs play at home. And and I was blown away with 15,000 people showing up for all three game series. Hit at all these, uh, most all these SEC programs. It's going to be improved. Love the field. A great hitter's park. They're at Foley Field with a nice backdrop, a great place to swing the bat and hit the ball. And I think job. I think they uh, look at the RPI, the uh, strength of schedule. There, you're talking about top, top these uh, Diamond Dogs. So they've had a really solid year. Cannon is is just uh, lights out, and he's going to get his shot at the next level. And looks like the, he'll be a first round draft pick. But uh, they they've got a you know they've had a, a really good year. I know Tennessee's been unbelievable, but uh, Georgia should be right there hosting uh, when those uh, uh, postseason gets underway. Hosting uh, shot to do some damage. So I've I've been really impressed with the Bulldogs this season. Yeah, to Buck's point, uh, Bulldogs head on the road Thursday, Friday, Saturday series in Knoxville at Lindsey Nelson against number one Tennessee and. Then they come home and host last place Missouri for a three-game series before the SEC tournament, uh, you know, talking with uh, some different experts around the Georgia baseball program. If they can get one at Tennessee and maybe uh, take two out of three or sweep the Tigers and win one there at Hoover, uh, you could see Georgia host an NCAA regional. That'd be the first time we've seen that uh, in a few years. Obviously, dogs missing the tournament last year and the COVID cancellation, very unfortunate the year before. So it's been a few years but uh, Georgia making a pretty nice run at it. You know, Buck, while you were gone a moment ago, I mentioned that you played in the USFL with the Jacksonville Bulls. And I guess I would just ask you about that. Uh, there's not too many different folks that got to play professional sports at two different levels. I guess you were the, the Deion Sanders of your era of sorts. But what was USFL football like? How close to the NFL was it? Did it seem like? Uh, a dialed down operation or did you feel like it was every bit as sensational as what was happening in the, in the NFL at that time? Well, the, uh, there, there was some great talent playing in the league and I, you know, I had a chance to play with two more Heisman trophy winners in Jacksonville. Mike Rozier out of Nebraska was one of our running backs, Archie Griffin out of Ohio state, two time Heisman winner. So sort of a trivia 
thing with me. Uh, everybody knows I handed it to Herschel, who won the Heisman. And, you know, got a chance to play with those guys. Uh, Lindy Infante was really an NFL passing game genius. He, uh, really exciting to, to learn uh, the NFL offense, West Coast offense that he was running and, and play with some really outstanding talent. Uh, you know, man-to-man, uh, -man, you're talking about the top 22. Uh, you know, it wasn't NFL caliber, but uh, there were a lot a lot of outstanding players in that league, and it was a heck of a lot of fun. Jacksonville led the league in attendance, so we had a great atmosphere in Jacksonville also. Wow, that's fantastic. That is that is fascinating trivia. So I got to ask you, you know, we've I've gone a long time without uh, talking about number 34. It's, it's really hard for me as a – a college football traditionalist that that has so much admiration for what Herschel Walker did as a collegiate football player, even in the NFL, um, such a dynamic athlete. Of course, we remember he was also uh, in the Olympics with the bobsled. You see him now, uh, Buck. I had him at a, a a ceremony a few years ago, and, and goodness, Herschel looks like he's twenty eight or twenty nine, and it's really not an exaggeration when we say that, folks. He's He's really amazing. I guess I would ask you to reflect or or share a little bit. Uh, what is your first memory of seeing Herschel Walker? And was he a guy that when he walked in the room, you knew he was going to be something? Or was there a practice or was there a moment uh, that you knew that something legendary was going to happen with this guy? Well, I was asked to make a trip down to uh, the Wrightsville area on a recruiting visit, uh, just a solo uh, visit and and I didn't hesitate. Uh, you know, I did the same. I drove over to talk to Lindsey Scott when I decided I was going to Georgia. And uh, you know, the word was my dad said, "Oh, you're going to Georgia. Well, you better get in that car and drive to Jessup because Lindsey Scott's about to sign with Tennessee." And I did. I made my way over there quick, trying to hang on to uh, you know what would be a go-to receiver going to Georgia with me. And and so I was asked to go down to Wrightsville to see Herschel play in a a game and it was uh it was uh, an old gym that thing looked like it was going to come down in a strong wind and i tell you i saw john Robinson was there the usc had, there were some big time names at the time in college football that were at that game uh, so i was told look to meet herschel outback after the game was overted a couple times where there was a rebound and and he had had the breakaway dunk, and I really did think that gym was going to come down when when he broke away and and dunked it with two hands there a couple of times on the fast break. But I met him out back, and you know, told him, "Look, I know we didn't we we weren't going to have much time together, so you know, I came down here to answer any questions that he had." And and he said, "Well, he uh, was promised that he'd be able to run track at Georgia and play football." And he was wondering if, if he were they just making promises. And I said, well, look, Coach Dooley said I could play baseball and I'm playing baseball. So what's the other question? I mean, sure, you're going to be able to run track. And then he grabbed this little thing he had growing on his chin. A little scraggly, uh, you know, and I, before he could even ask, I said, no, man, you're going to have to shave that off. Yeah, Coach Dooley's <laughs> not going to let you have that thing growing. And, and you know, we... You know, we uh, laughed uh, over that, had a good laugh, and, you know, shook his hand, and that was the end of it. I just told him, you know, a few weeks later, 
not because of my meeting, but uh, I think he just ran out of time. He, you know, it came, it was, I mean, it was like Easter before he made a decision on what he was going to do. So that was huge news. And, you know, I, I'll always look back and think that was a pretty good trip making uh, my way down to Wrightsville to talk to him. <laughs> no doubt. No question, Buck. That was good. You secured a couple of key players there. Uh, you know, when I was around Herschel, I asked him about the Sugar Bowl. I had him honored at the Sugar Bowl game as, as one of our legends. And, uh, of course, he was a gentleman and, and was there and, and you know, kind of told the story of the 1980 Sugar Bowl, 81, the shoulder injury. You were there and saw it for yourself. Did you know or realize how bad Herschel was hurt and what he played through in that game at the time? Or did he kind of keep that one quiet so maybe coach wouldn't pull him out of the game? Well, gosh, it had to be like the third place. And field huddle. There was some concern face. And Dr. Um, Mulheron, team orthopedic, met him at the sideline when he was coming off the field. And they stood him up right there. And I could see their hand going up under the shoulder pad checking out his shoulder and so yeah we knew it was it was uh, a serious injury i mean a separated shoulder and you're facing the number one defense in college football and knowing you're going to carry the load he got over 30 carries that day but he uh, he really showed, and showed all of us that that he had that day uh, he could have easily packed it in and said look just it was bad luck and you know, he, he's told me through the years a couple of times, he said that, you know, he had family that made the trip all the way from South Georgia down to New Orleans, and he couldn't bear the thought of just playing in two or three plays and, and not playing the rest of the game. But he came back out. I, they told him they didn't think it would risk any further injury. I mean, believe that. <laughs> but he uh, <laughs> he came back out and adjusted his running style instead of, lowering his head, uh, getting underneath the defender's pads. He more upright in that game and took some of the shots below the shoulder area instead of taking it on the shoulder. And so I thought that was genius too. So he was tough, he was smart, and just uh, just put on one of the, I think that's the greatest performance I, I was, I've seen on the athletic field was that day down in New Orleans where he refused to be hurt. Yeah, you talk about putting a, a team on the shoulders, and, and Herschel Walker uh, certainly did that as a freshman. You know, just an amazing performance, and um, arguably, as Buck said, you know, perhaps the greatest freshman football performance of, of all time. Although there were times this past season, Brock Bowers might have tried to challenge that when we talk about 10 catches against Alabama and a loss nonetheless, and, and bringing it more to the modern-day terms, Buck, is – you know, we talk about what's ahead for these dogs. And you've been through this. You've won a national championship as a junior and had to go back that next year when there were all these expectations ahead for Georgia football. And how much of a game changer is that when you go from uh, trying to win a title to trying to defend a title? We've heard Kirby say, these guys aren't defending anything, man. This is a whole new season. And yet I've got to think and and you would know this is a national champion yourself, it's got to be a bit of a game changer. What's going through some of these young guys' minds as they come back trying to repeat as national champions? 
Well, first, I think with Stetson uh, Bennett and Nolan Smith and others, uh, the, this team will have great leadership. And so I'm not concerned about that part of it. Uh, you know, as far as the repeat thing goes, uh, it is a different team. But you are getting everybody's best shot. They, they want to get a shot at the champ, you know. And so you do have to deal with, with that. And they expect the other team to play at their very best, their very highest level. But, but again, um, good leadership. I, I think offensively, as I was talking, they've got a shot to be offenses in college football this year. If they really turn it loose and go up tempo and, and throw that ball around 30 times a game and, and get Milton and McIntosh doing all the dynamic things they can do, uh, you know, I think they've got a shot offensively to really lead the way. And and defensively, uh, you know, a lot of unanswered questions, especially uh, up front and, and at the second level at the linebacker spot. Um, Ringo would be one of the best cornerbacks in, in college football. So secondary uh, that, that has some veterans back there at the safety spot. So I think they can be a good defense. They're they're going to need the offense to lead the way the first half of the year and allow them to settle in and get some of these young guys involved and get them a little experience. But, look, Kirby's got a great coaching staff. I really like what Monken's doing offensively, scheme-wise, uh, and, and defensively. Gosh, could it can't be a better defensive staff than what he's put together if you include Kirby and Muschamp and Schumann. I mean, they'll have a great plan. So they've got a shot, man. They've got a shot to do some damage. I mean, I understand why Alabama's the clear favorite right now, but uh, Georgia should be right there in the mix, as I can see it. No doubt. You know, Buck, it's, it's been kind of exciting for me to go from the national championship to covering the guys down at the Senior Bowl in Mobile and then going to the Combine, and they had 14 guys there and 15 guys in the draft, and I told somebody, well, you know, the draft's over, so this means the season's over. And I look up and, you know, we've got Jeff Centel down there in New Orleans watching young Arch Manning. And uh, speaking of things that you've seen over the years and how they've evolved, recruiting now, much different than maybe back in the day when Georgia would ask Buck Ballou to go down and have a word with Herschel Walker. I've got to think that, you know, there's going to be a parade of coaches down there in New Orleans to watch Arch Manning. What are your thoughts on this young guy, this next in the line of the Manning legacy? I call it a brand covering Tennessee. I tell everybody, you got to understand, this is a brand. Everything is construed. Nothing happens by accident with the Manning family. This is a very uh, organized effort on the family's part. Your thoughts on the recruitment of Arch Manning, and what would it mean if Georgia landed uh, a football player with the last name of Manning? Yeah, that. Well, let me just say Archie Manning. I just think the world of Archie Manning, the dad. And he was a, he was a guy I really loved watching play as a kid growing up. I'm sort of dating myself, but uh, I'd say Archie was, was fun to watch. And what a great guy to get to know. I've gotten a chance to get to know him through the years. And he was coming out. You know, the Saints were uh, having training camp at uh, Vero Beach where the Dodgers had their uh, a ball team and and when I was with the Expos we would go in there and play during training camp and he'd come out and hang out by the dugout and watch the game uh you know so I got to know grandpa and then got to know the the boys uh Cooper Manning uh, 
and so I know those guys and, and respect them. Just uh, think that Arch is probably, uh, I hope he realizes, man, that is some valuable advice and leadership that is uncle and his grandpa and his dad have been play a little bit you know i hadn't seen a heck of a lot of it just the highlight reel and he looks like a chip off the old block uh look Kirby's done an excellent job recruiting these five-star quarterbacks now it looks like the with sarkeesian has got a really good shot to get him uh he could be uh, he, he could uh, reignite that program there in austin and, and I could see that being a real draw for him. And then running Sarkeesian's scheme would uh, get him ready for the next level. So I think, you know, Georgia, uh, U.S., yeah, you got Texas. And then I know uh, Florida's pushing hard, too, to get a visit from him. But I think Texas and Georgia, it looks like to me, Alabama, hadn't they moved on to this other quarterback yeah. down in Louisiana at this point in time, reportedly. So it'll be interesting, man. I can't wait to see how this turns out. Yeah, say this, you know, JT Daniels is on to West Virginia, but not before he ran a four and five wide spread. And you better believe the Mannings watched that offense because I think they would probably be more prone to play a multi-receiver set than ask Arch Manning to run some RPOs. Albeit, there's a lot of talent and Kirby's going to work around the talent. And Buck, you know this as well as anybody. Uh, quarterbacks, uh, you know, coaches play to the strength of the team. And obviously, during your era, the national championship season, you know, with a running back like Herschel Walker, you'd be crazy not to hand it off to, a, I think, the greatest college running back without question uh, in history. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, I was a little taken aback a few years ago. ESPN decided they would name and rank the, the greatest uh, players of all time. And listen, with all due respect to Jim Brown, who was a wonderful NFL player, uh, you know, there was just some some supposing of what would have happened and could have happened had he carried the ball more. And and they even threw his lacrosse exploits in there. I'm I'm still trying to figure out how Jim Brown came ahead of Herschel Walker. I kind of took that one personal myself because the numbers are what they are and the the ring and the championship set it all. So to me, um, Herschel Walker, the greatest college football player of all time, and certainly your leadership uh, played a role in that right from the time. As it turned out, I didn't know that story uh, about your visit to his basketball game, of all things. But, uh, you know, man, what a what a wonderful role. Uh, certainly you've played in Georgia football history and now in the media. And I, I, I just uh, I'm always amazed at uh, just how polite you are with uh, with callers and on the sports scene, because I come unglued a little bit. And, and yet you seem so poised. I got to ask you, what's the secret? to uh, maintaining this professionalism and kindness that you seem to display each day? Well, I, I learned something real quick, Mike, and that is, you know, playing quarterback in the uh, SEC and then sports talk radio in the Deep South, it's very similar in that you can't please all, all the people any of the time. <laughs> That certainly helped. Uh, it's just knowing that. Now, I had a guy telling me today on social media that, oh, Blue, you know, the only reason you've written a book and have been doing radio is because you handed it to Herschel Walker. <laughs> For crying out loud. <laughs> I mean, 
got to take it with a sense of humor, right? Oh, it's unbelievable. I, you, it, and it's the quarterback's job to distribute. And, you know, you see Jake Fromm. I remember 2019, he throws 11 balls to George Pickens in the first half. Well, yeah, that's where he's going with it, folks, until you stop it. It's just such a simple game. Uh, there's always going to be critics, I suppose. But I'm, I'm eager uh, to get my hands on your book, Buck, Inside the Hedges, Quarterback's Journey to the 1980 National Championship. You've certainly uh, – carried the banner well for 41 years. My goodness, uh, you know, you've carried it. It's about time you, you can hand it off to some of these young guys now. They can call themselves national champions and uh, of the Georgia Bulldogs and the brand. But I know a lot of these Georgia fans that are watching our angles Inside the Beat Tonight show, they've really been treated by it. I've been looking at the comments. They all want to hear a different story. All I can tell you, folks, I can only ask Buck so story many questions. Time. This was supposed to be a 10-minute interview, and Buck has stayed on with us 45 minutes. But uh, we're going to close now. I want to thank everyone for joining us, and I want to thank uh, Buck for joining us. And certainly, uh, I'm a fan of Buck's. I know in the media we're supposed to stay impartial, but he's in the media game now. So I can be a fan of another media member who just so happened to be a national championship quarterback of a program I covered. Buck, thank you so much for joining the program tonight. And I look forward to seeing you again soon and listening to you on 680. The InsideTheHedges.com. You can buy, find the book there. I'll be at the Georgia Bookstore on Friday night from 4 to 6. We'll be making a, a tour around the state. So hope to see everybody out and about there and uh, say go dogs here at the end, just like Kirby, huh? Go dogs. You got it. You got it. Friday night, four to six at the bookstore, Buck Baloo. Folks, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, and again, thank you to Buck for joining us. And we'll be back next Monday tomorrow, Dog Nation Daily at 10 a.m. Of course, Connor and coverage tomorrow night. Jeff Centel with Centel's Intel Wednesday night. Look for very special coverage from Jeff Centel. He's down in New Orleans at the Arch Manning Praxis. You're going to want to check us at dognation.com. You can follow me on Twitter at MikeGriffith32. And if you're not a member of our Dog Nation forum yet, Give it a Google. It's our message board. We got a lot of live discussions, and I'll be writing a story about the interview that we did with Buck Blue tonight. Have a great Monday night, everybody.